If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Um, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the London Review Bookshop, where tonight we're delighted to welcome back Jeff Dyer to talk about his um, collection, selection, personal selection of um, D.H. Lawrence's non-fiction life with a capital L. Um, Lawrence is one of Jeff's great hero, anti-heroes, or maybe just hero. But <laughs> uh, we'll clarify. That, we'll clarify that. <laughs> He'll be in conversation tonight with um, the biographer and historian Francis Wilson, whose latest book is a biography of Thomas De Quincey. Um, they'll talk for forty to forty-five minutes. After which there'll be some time for questions. Um, after which questions there will be time for the signing and buying of books. Um, on practical matters, your fire exits are the doors there and there. Um, please make sure your mobile phones, if you've got them, are switched to silent or even off. And when you um, rise to your feet in clamorous approbation at the end of the evening, <laughs> don't kick over your wine glasses because somebody always does. Um, so now, uh, please join me in welcoming Jeff and Francis. Yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So three years ago, I started to write a new life of D. H. Lawrence, and during that time, every time I told someone I was what I was up to, rather than responding as I expected them to respond, which is by snarling and spitting and saying something aggressive, which is what I'm used to as a um, as a, a female Laurentian kind of educated in the eighties. They responded very differently, and the response has been a kind of a rather tender one, and sli- slightly kooky, and slightly comic, and slightly amused. And they all say exactly the same thing, and it's guarded. And they put their hands up like this and say, "I know everyone asks you this, and I hate to ask you, but have you read Jeff Dyer?" Out of sheer Now, when I say everyone has said this, I mean. Everyone, and I've spoken to so many people about Lawrence over the past three years. And so your royalty statements must be really massive. Uh, well, that's curious. Yeah, we have a representative of the of the publisher, so we can, uh, we'll be pressing charges later. Um, but, but seriously, good, the nice conclusion I've come to is that people don't read Lawrence anymore. But they read you, and so you have single-handedly kept Lawrence alive. But the version of Lawrence that you've kept alive is the version of Lawrence that we really needed, which is comic Lawrence. Yeah, well, God, I mean, uh, okay, so we're right into it already. But the (laughs) the thing is, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. We've got um, Simon Winder from Penguin here as a a sort of, uh, who will say something, I think, about the difficulties of uh, publishing Lawrence. But yeah, there's comic Lawrence, but the, I guess the point to stress is there are a huge number of Lawrences. But I think in some ways, the 
I mean, um, I'm 61. You're a little younger than me. You're significantly younger than me. <laughs> You're so youthful, friend. Uh, um, uh, the Lawrence that I was given, and, uh, you know, probably... Uh, the same is true for, for many of you. It's basically the, the Levis Lawrence, the Lawrence of the great tradition. That is to say, uh, it's Lawrence the novelist. It's Sons and Lovers as a book. But really, you know, the two great books are The Rainbow and Women in Love. And even as a student, really, reading those books with those two books with great enthusiasm, you know, I had I sort of struggled with them, really. And it seems to me that uh, Lawrence is a, you know, remains a really great, important writer. But there's a real problem for us with reading the books on which his reputation uh, rests. The canon has done him no favours at all. Mm. The canonisation of Lawrence. Why do you think? I mean, what happened? that we got the Lawrence of the novels rather than the Lawrence of the essays. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's fair enough because, um, you know, if you asked Lawrence, you know, uh, what were his, you know, greatest achievements, he wouldn't say Sea and Sardinia. Uh, he would probably say it was, uh, you know, uh, The Rainbow and Women in Love. Those are the books that, uh, where he's really doing something that has never been done before with the novel, they're the books that weighed on him with this enormous psychic weight. And, of course, then the story of the, of the, um, uh, the, the suppression of the rainbow, you know, this incredible thing, which has sort of entered the, the realm of, of, of myth, where copies of the rainbow were, were burned outside. Burned outside the Royal Exchange. Yeah, yes. you know, an incredible thing to have happened. And, you know, I think in one of his letters he says, you know, I'll never forgive England for what they did to the rainbow. And then uh, Women in Love, of course, can't, can't even get published because it's, uh, oh, well, for all, all sorts of reasons. I mean, so those, in a way, uh, the, the, the canon is right. They're the books where, Lawrence, you know, that, that's the stuff on which Lawrence really, to which he devoted himself. Mm. Um, uh, but I think something strange has happened, really, in that... Um, a load of the stuff... Uh, well, I guess we also have to then add in Lady Chatterley because, you know, Lawrence up until Lady Chatterley was just another, just another great writer. And then he enters into this other realm with the, you know, the, the famous Penguin case where suddenly Lawrence, uh, a copy of Lady Chatterley's Lover... I mean, I grew up in a house with no books at all and actually I really admire my dad for this there really weren't any books at all <laughs> but my aunt across the road there were sort of two serious books in, in her house one was Lady Chatterley's Lover the other interestingly was uh, William Shira's Rise and Fall of the Third Reich which I've recently read which is absolutely great but anyway so courtesy of Lady Chatterley's Lover you know he became the kind of... He, he, he enjoyed the sort of Rushdie uh, status. Mm. That is to say, he was known by people who had no interest really in reading the book. OK, so that's a, that's a kind of different thing. But it seems to me that a lot of the stuff that Lawrence's reputation was based on contains a lot of what, for us now, is his, his very worst writing. But, and so mm. for you, you share my difficulty with The Rainbow and Women in Love. 
I completely agree with you about, about um, the reorganisation of the canon. I feel that what you've done in um, Life with a Capital L is give us a completely fresh Lawrence. Uh -huh. And if wow. Lawrence is ever going to kind of have a second coming, or he wanted because he saw himself as <laughs> such a messianic figure, yes, then yeah. it will be with the help of this book. In fact, I was interested, looking through the um, essays, that they begin... Jeff's done it in a brilliant way of um, doing the essays chronologically. So um, starting in 1912 with Lawrence's, uh, Lawrence's essay on Christ in the Tyrol, mm -hmm. so walking through the Tyrol, looking at the crucifixes, and ending with the essay, the last, um, the last piece of writing he did before he died, which was the introduction to um, the, the Grand Inquisitor section of um, Karamazov. And I thought, God, they're both about Christ. <laughs> yeah, they're both yeah, about Christ. Yeah. You've begun. I thought this journey, the journey he's taking us, the journey you're taking us on through these essays, is so Laurentian. We're going all over the place, but we begin with Christ and we end with Christ, and this will be his second coming. <laughs> Great. Well, let's hope that. <laughs> so maybe this is. We could actually. It would be useful to hear from you, Simon, yes. because um, I mean, I'll just tell you a little, say a little bit about how this book came to uh, came to happen. Um, uh, I'd wanted to do a, well, actually, I knew that Simon Winder was an editor at Penguin, so I would be sort of in touch with him from time to time, mainly because I'm such a lowlife asking for free books. But then I would intermingle those requests with this suggestion that it was time to publish a new edition of Lawrence's essays, because there hadn't really been one since... I mean, this is a, a book that I know people of a certain age will have, you know, these two editions of Phoenix. And then there was the selected... There was a slimmer volume of selected essays. Uh, and I believe that had been out of print for a long, long while. So I just kept badgering Simon, saying, come on, you know, we've got to have... This is ridiculous. There's no selected... There's no Lawrence selected essays. But um, he'd been so traumatised, I think, by... <laughs> sort of successive failures to sort of rehabilitate Lawrence, that it wasn't till I published a book with, with Simon as my editor, the book about Where Eagles Dare, which was great, because then I had a legitimate reason both to up my rate of requests for free books <laughs> and to re-intensify my lobbying for a, uh, an edition of Lawrence's essays. And at some point, he relented. So I guess what I maybe you could say, Simon, was there anything in the sort of zeitgeist that made this more viable yes. now. I mean, oh, is there a mic for him? Yeah. This has turned into a sort of Quaker meeting. <laughs> it's a revivalist thing. And I've been at Penguin, I think, for over 20 years. And I can't remember a time before a period when I didn't get notes from Jeff saying, should we do a collection of uh, uh, Lawrence's essays? So now we've done them. Uh, my life has no further purpose or direction. Um, well, I've got another commercial uh, suicidal idea for you. Um, uh, I mean, the problem Penguin's always faced is, of course, Penguin is famously associated with Lawrence. For many years, we published him exclusively before we went out of copyright. Uh, we sold staggering numbers of copies of Lady Chatley. But, I mean, the, the, this appalling sense throughout my whole time at Penguin of every year selling even less Lawrence. And so we'd look back now on the dreamy period 10 years earlier where we actually sold a reasonable quantity. But it has been a ghastly feeling that there's been no, you know, like, like Jeff, I sort of grew up on Lawrence and I've worshipped the old, that, that edition, you know, and uh, gradually there's the collapse of the great tradition, you know, because it, 
because I've been involved with Penguin Classics in various ways, you know, you can see the same happening with almost all of Conrad and all, all of James. You know, it's a boggling collapse in new readers, even though they're revered, no one actually sort of reads them. And so in the end, I was able to, I mean, Jeff asked so often that I thought a good way of clearing my intro might be to say yes. <laughs> um, but I was thinking in publishing terms, it's the equivalent of the dying samurai throwing his sword, you know. <laughs> um, um, but in fact, the book's been doing extremely well. And, and indeed, possibly this does show this is the way in which people could approach Lawrence through your advocacy, through the look of the book, through the fact the way it's a sort of separate way of looking at Lawrence. So, I mean, so far it seems to be working. Look at this. Look at you. It's good. Uh, this is the entire print run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these appear to be dummies. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Simon. Can you tell us something, Jeff, about your selection, what you decided to include, what you decided oh, yeah, to exclude, yeah. which is possibly more important? Uh, yes, yeah. Well, um, yeah, we go back to my days as a student. And, of course, you know, there the focus was all on the fiction. And then you would read some of the essays, but only really as a way of um, uh, helping your uh, study of the novels. So it would be, you know, all of Lawrence's many essays on the novel or then his uh, essays on uh, obscenity and pornography, all this kind of stuff. So they were always just sort of stepping stones to, to better appreciate the, uh, the fiction. So there was, there was that. And then, I mean, when I was writing Out of Sheer Rage, that's when I became really conscious that there is this Lawrence that remains forever fresh. I mean, just so, so contemporary. And, you know, Out of Sheer Rage is one of the first of um, what is now a kind of quite fashionable, uncategorizable category of books. Uh, and it seemed to me that I was making a case for Lawrence as one of the first writers whose greatness might lie outside of what was considered the only real field of competition, that is to say, the novel. And yes. there was so much of Lawrence that was... Uh, you know, uh, subsidiary. For, I mean, because Lawrence wrote so much. I mean, he died at 44. The amount he wrote was staggering. And it seemed to me that really some weird inversion of the, of the classic hierarchy of genre was taking place, whereby, oh, yeah, I quite like the stories, which are, of course, in, you know, kind of generically inferior to the novels. But I really loved the travel books I really, really loved the essays and the sort of bits and pieces. And then I loved the poems, which were sort of not, not even poems. They were just sort of mm. jottings, really. So, OK. Um, uh, and the idea was to find a way of bringing into one volume as wide a range of possible of Lawrence's, uh, of, of Lawrence's work. And in the previous editions of, of uh, the essays, they were always categorised. But as you know, any kind of categorizing with Lawrence uh, completely falls apart because an essay on one thing is always an essay on a load of other things. And there's yeah. a wonderful comment by the uh, Lawrence scholar James T. Bolton. He talks about the, uh, the essay called Introduction to Pictures, which doesn't once mention, mention pictures. No. <laughs> I remember it's mainly about um, venereal disease. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, an amazing history of, uh, yeah. of Western art seen in the light yeah. of this terror, this sort of it's terror of the body. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there was, I mean, there's so much, and it starts, re I mean, there was um, 
for example, one of the times when I realized just how sort of wild Lawrence, I mean, I, I don't know, I like wild writers. And I always come back to that um, moment when uh, What's-His-Name um, was writing the biography of um, Emerson and uh, Annie Dillard said to him, what you've got to realize, Bob, is that Emerson is wild. And it seems to me that Lawrence is just so wild. And the, the wild Lawrence I first encountered was in his study of Thomas Hardy. Yes. And whereas for a while, uh, I think books like Twilight and Italy, you know, they're, they're sort of available in Penguin. I think study of Thomas Hardy has been really uh, out of print, except for those very expensive Cambridge University Press yes. uh, scholarly editions. So the idea really was to make available again as much of this really kind of crazy stuff as possible including, I mean, so there's all, yeah, there's, of course, I include, you know, some of the essays on the novel, but there's loads of wonderful autobiographical writing, and there's loads of this really kind of um, very little-known stuff, such as, uh, I mean, it's interesting, whenever anybody would send a book to Lawrence, basically hoping for a blurb, uh, let's say, the way that happens now, one of two things would happen. Either Lawrence would rewrite it, as he did with Molly Skinner, didn't he? <laughs> yes. Or, if you asked him later on in life to write an introduction to Apocalypse, he'd write his own book about Apocalypse. Yes. And then, I mean, perhaps you could explain about the, uh, the, the other thing, that sort of huge thing that grew completely out of control, uh, the, the, the amazing 80-page, is it, essay that he writes on Magnus's, the introduction to memoirs of uh, the Foreign Legion. Yes, yes. So you, you explain about no, that. So friend. this is the... Um, this is the creme de la creme for me of this collection, is that at last we have an easily available, accessible copy of the memoir of, uh, Memoirs of Morris Magnus, which has been otherwise impossible to find. And I've had the copy out of um, London University Library for four years, and I had to take it back now. But I could return it because I've now got it here. And what's, what's extraordinary about this essay, and I am absolutely obsessed with it, is how funny it is. Mm. And how completely unclassifiable it is, and how mischievous it is, and totally, totally wrong. And what it's uh, wrong um, in what sense? That um, what Lawrence behaved so badly in writing this piece. So what it's about is Morris Magnus is one of the um, the strange characters who kind of wander into Lawrence's life, and he's um, and he's homosexual. Although Lawrence will never mention this, but Lawrence's obsession with him is his homosexuality, mm-hmm. and um, and he's on the run from the police, which fascinates Lawrence because Lawrence is also on the run when he meets him in Italy in 1919, and he's escaped from the French Foreign Legion, and he's very theatrical. And he's completely broke and he starts to borrow money from Lawrence. And Lawrence is very, very complicated about lending money. And is that, remember that poem about money? He said, you never, I never, ever lend anyone a fiver without it killing me inside. <laughs> and, um, and Maurice Magnus kind of bleeds money out of Lawrence. And Lawrence is kind of sucked into Maurice Magnus's kind of personal chaos. And Frida's going, why have you picked up this complete loser? And Lawrence can't let him go. And then Maurice Magnus kills himself and he leaves behind him um, for Lawrence to publish his memoir of the French Foreign Legion and Maurice and Lawrence says in order to clear Magnus's debts which have been tremendous he'll publish this but only with his own introduction and in his introduction which we've got reproduced here 
Lawrence completely destroys Morris Magnus's character. <laughs> he talks about him. Um, it's very, very funny the way he destroys his character. He destroys him and then he builds him up again and then he destroys him again. <laughs> but um, in the meantime, he describes his friendship with, uh, with Morris Magnus and with Magnus's friend, Norman Douglas, almost like a kind of Charlie Chaplin film. Mm-hmm. That yeah, um, yeah. Morris Magnus walks in these mincing little steps. He looks like a tomtit dressed up to look like a sparrow. And he's got um, every, for every one of Lawrence's strides, Morris Magnus has ten little steps. And he's so evidently, Lawrence is so evidently inspired by silent movie, which he claim, movies, which he claims to hate. Uh-huh. But I think he sees the whole thing in terms of a, kind of, of a silent film. Mm-hmm. And I do think when I read, I mean, no one's ever sort of written about Morris Magnus, except me. But um, I do think when um, when I read that essay with so, and I always get so much pleasure from it. Why isn't this at the centre mm-hmm. of what we think about when we think about Lawrence? Yes, yeah. With this man who was just a, he was a brilliant mimic. And famously, in the famously days, brilliant. In the days mimic. before television, that's apparently all you could do to entertain yeah. yourself. You just, <laughs> and, you just mimic people. And if Lawrence was here now, he'd be taking off me and he'd be taking off Jeff yeah. and you'd all be hands and knees laughing about it because he was a complete parrot, wasn't he? Yeah, a, and, a fantastic company, allegedly. Well, I guess this is the, I mean, fantastic company for a while. And I think this is that. Um, uh, scenario you've described with with Morris is so typical throughout Lawrence. The pattern is repeated endlessly in Lawrence's life, from his first meeting with all of the people at Garsington, such as Bertrand yes. Russell. You know, they meet Lawrence, they think, "Oh my God, this you know this minor son is just this incredible genius." Well, he always said that he was only called a genius because he was a minor son because he lacked their yeah. other what was <laughs> yeah. it, incomparable advantages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and always, and then of course, Lawrence always he's always hatching up grand schemes. You know, the grandest of which was uh, destined never to happen. You know, to found this community, ran on him. And I love the way that Lawrence designed the badge for this. Uh, I know. I and, mean, you know, and then the pattern would always be there would always be the fallout. I uh, Lawrence comes crashing into people's lives, and I think the the famous episode with. Bertrand Russell really exemplifies this. They then form an allegiance to, you know, to try to uh, bring to, you know, to, to stop the First World War. And Bertrand Russell, of course, is a pacifist. And Lawrence, you know, famously says to him, oh, the only reason you're a pacifist is because your deepest desire in life is to bury an axe in somebody's head. <laughs> and uh, Russell said that this uh, insight into his character made him contemplate suicide until he realised that Lawrence, as everyone would do eventually, is it was just a lunatic. (laughs) So then, having built this friendship alliance, there's then the inevitable bust-up. And that just goes through every relationship Lawrence has. Catherine Mansfield, John Middleton Murray. um, But as with all people who are... um, And then, of course, you've got this other thing. I think we all have this thing in our relationships you know, uh, you like the husband, not the wife. You like the wife, yeah. not the husband. There's Frida in the mix as well. Yeah. The um, terrific problem of Frida. The huge, but also <laughs> the kind of great thing, because, I mean, yeah, we, we, I mean, we'll talk about that. But uh, one of the things that um, uh, united uh, Frida and Lawrence is that st- neither of them, them were sulkers. Yes. You know, so Lawrence with his famous temper, you know, uh, he, you know, there, there were all these anecdotes that one moment, you know, he'd be 
seen str trying to strangle Frida, the next minute they'd be cooing, coo, coo, all and talking about macaroni cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then so Lawrence has all these fallings out with people, and then but he's always happy to sort of pick it up again. You know, yeah. there's no lifelong falling out with anybody that I can think of, except that people like Catherine Mansfield die before, yeah. uh, before, but you know, uh, before it's got a, a chance to, to revive. So yeah, I just I feel that you know, and so as a result, everybody, anyone who met Lawrence for more than five minutes has written a memoir yes. of their time with him. Yes, and maybe I could ask you this. Uh, Fran, rather rudely, given that, you know, I was here about 10 years or more ago with John Worthing to yes. talk about his full-length biography of Lawrence, which came out after his, uh, the, the, the segment of the three-part biography he'd done. Uh, David Ellis, who wrote part three of the Cambridge biography, he also did another uh, smaller book about Lawrence. There's the great Brenda Maddox biography. Are you really writing another biography of Lawrence? Who needs it? <laughs> okay. Well, I, um, I am, um, and I'm not. I, I think that, well, for me, the, the, the life, there are so many lives of Lawrence, as you say, and they're completely unsatisfying as far as I can see. I think they're very, very boring. Oh, I so disagree. Okay. I think they're nearly... I mean, I think the standard of Lawrence biographies is so high. I love that three-parter, although I know that's a bit much It's a for... source book. It's not a... It, it doesn't get inside Lawrence like you get inside Lawrence and out of sheer rage. That's the only book about Lawrence that really gives you a sense of what it was like to be in the room with, with Lawrence. Otherwise, I see the biographies as extended Wikipedia. Wow, entries. even... What about... Uh, I mean, I... I worry that I'm now generating, potentially generating revenue for Brenda Maddox rather than me. But I, I really felt that her biography, uh, The Married Man, although it's slightly dubious as a, as a, 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 in terms of documentary, I felt that gave a real sense of what it was like to be with Lawrence. I completely disagree. Wow, OK. Is yeah. she in the room tonight, No, she, she recently died. Oh, did she? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. but, no, I felt it, it didn't work for me at all. And also she... <laughs> that, what you thought I just said, that was a strange collective hallucination. <laughs> that you all no. <laughs> I know, exactly. Yes, yeah. No, um, and that book disappointed me because it's the only life of Lawrence by a woman. Otherwise, it's and it's extraordinary, isn't it, that yeah, every uh -huh. other biographer has been a man. And so I wanted, yes, yeah. I wanted to have something of how controversial Lawrence is for women in mm -hmm. that book, but there was there was nothing at all. Oh, that's... But what what I think the biographies of. Um, what I think they've done is they've hammered Lawrence down and made him into a much more conventional person than he is. And I think I, I'm like you. I like the wildness of mm -hmm. him. I like the madness of him. I like the fury. And I'm completely... When you describe, as you did so well, Lawrence falling out with people all the time, my question is, why? Why was he so angry? And why did he fall out with everyone? I don't need it to be repeated for me in every biography. They all are the same book. And then he met him and he fell out with him and he wrote him up in this book. And then he met her and fell out with her and wrote him in that book. I want someone to get inside him and say, OK, were there two Lawrences? Was there Lawrence mm -hmm. one and Lawrence two? Everyone said, everyone who met Lawrence said, there are two of him. There's the really engaging, charming man who knows the names of every flower in the wood. 
and it's That's... just wonderful company. And then there's a tannoy system. <laughs> who dis- and when the tannoy system comes yeah, into yeah. the novels in That's... the form of Rupert yeah, Birkin yeah, in yeah, Women in Love, yes, yeah. he destroys his own art. And Lawrence doesn't seem to recognise that he's got mm. this self-destructive streak. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to recognise... Everyone else recognised it, but he couldn't, in the same way that he couldn't recognise that he was a crap painter. Yeah, he yeah. thought his mm-hmm. paintings were as good as his poems. Well, he thought his paintings were the sort of culmination of the yeah. Western art tradition. Well, it's so interesting, I think, that he couldn't tell when he... He couldn't see his own genius. And so he couldn't really see himself at all, and I think because he had so little interest in himself as a maker of art... He had much more interest, and you described this in Out of Sheer Range, he had much more interest in himself as a maker of cupboards, as a DIY man. And he took his, um, he took his genius for granted, but what he didn't take for granted was the, his, the fact that he saw himself as profit. And that's where it all seemed to go wrong, I think. And that's yes. what Frida made mm-hmm. him feel. There's Lawrence before Frida and Lawrence after Frida. And I don't like what any of the biographers have done with Frida I don't think anyone, I mean, they describe her as a swamp. I mean, that, that is literally the term they use. It's sort of this swamp of a woman, the immovable fact of Frida. And I think Frida was half of Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, she, was, she is responsible for a lot of what's bad in Lawrence in that she is the conduit through whom he got in touch with all of these fashionable German yeah. psychoanalytic ideas and so forth. And, of course, Lawrence, isn't it wonderful? I mean, uh, this would be interesting to hear from Simon... Uh, you know, Lawrence wrote these two books, Fantasia of the Unconscious and Psychoanalysis of the Unconscious. Would it be true to say they're not in print? <laughs> or, well, let's more modestly, would it be true to say they're not his best-selling titles? In a crowded field, they're not his best-selling titles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, but yeah, there's that, yeah, so I think there's that whole kind of swirl of kind of uh, avant-garde, you know, uh, thought, which finds its way into the uh, into the uh, well into um, uh, the rainbow uh, and women in love. Yes, um, but I, I love that crazy German streak in him, and it comes straight from Otto Rank, because you say Frieda's kind of Frieda's engagement in that extraordinary moment mm-hmm. of um, German kind of an- anarchistic philosophy of the, at the turn of the century, and. Um, I think that Lawrence on the unconscious is really interesting. And I like the fact that he sees the unconscious actually as a physical organ like the liver. You know, it's, a, mm. it's not a kind of, a, it's not sort of something abstract, it's something that's properly there, sitting in the body. that mysterious part of the body which always seems to move around in Lawrence, the yeah. loins. Yes, the, yes. Loins the dark loins. Yeah. I think it would be really good to just map the body. <laughs> this is Laurentian body, and here's the loins, and here's the unconscious kind of kidney-shaped or yeah, liver-shaped. Yeah, and here's... And another... I mean, what you describe really well in Out of Sheer Age by impersonating it and reenacting it is the... Contra- I mean, all the contradictions mm-hmm. in yeah, Lawrence. And yeah. so the book is Laurentian because you become all those contradictions. And the biggest contradiction in Lawrence... No biographer has done anything with this. As I say, only you have is um, the fact that he, um, he was an entirely intellectual man who only believed in the body as the <laughs> centre of thought. But his body was dying, and yes, his body yeah. had failed him since the day he was born. And he never 
ever admitted to having tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. But and his own analysis of tuberculosis was that it was... And he puts this in his books on psychoanalysis. And I ran this past a New Age friend of mine who said she thought it was brilliant and not at all to be laughed at. And that he said that his mother gave him TB by making him excessively loving. And it's the pressure of love on... on it's the pressure of love on the kind of the sternum which yeah. presses down into the lungs. And... Um, and well, I said, God, isn't he mad about the body? And she said, no, absolutely right about tuberculosis. Well, but there's, <laughs> on the other hand, there's, you, know, you could go through Lawrence. I mean, that Lawrence comes up with two dozen explanations about what is wrong with him. Quite, quite often he says, oh, you know, I'm feeling ill, but I know it's... Well, first of all, it's never the lungs. It's always the bronchioles. Yeah, or the stomach. Or the stomach. Anything yeah. but the thing it really is. It's only about two weeks before his... Um, uh, a death that he finally says something like, you know, I think one of my lungs is a bit tubercular. The scale of the denial is incredible. So he'll blame it on the nerves uh, or on a kind of... Uh, quite often he'll blame it on rage, the rage induced in him by England and Europe. Yes. And there's a rather brilliant uh, passage in, uh, in uh, the Brenda Maddox book where... Quite often, she says, after a certain point, Lawrence is maintaining his altitude like a, like a pilot whose plane is in trouble, just trying to get maximum glide from it to find a climate that suits him. Yes. And, of course, Lawrence famously falls out not just with people but with places. And he yes. never, ever will forgive a place <laughs> that he gets ill in. Yes. So, I mean, you know, he just turns his back on so... You know, of course, yes. that's why he hated Sri Lanka, um, where he got unbelievably ill. But... Um, yeah, uh, where were we, Fran? Just remind me. Uh, illness, this kind of stuff. Um, the contradictions, oh, the yes, denial. That's right. Oh, yes, and, and Frida. Yeah, so on the one hand, I feel that uh, she's responsible for a lot of the things that work to the detriment of Lawrence's, Lawrence's yeah. and Lawrence's. She didn't have to deny. I mean, Lawrence was in denial about his TB, but so was Frida. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And the uh, Huxleys were outraged at the yes. sort of nursing care. But I think also, weirdly, I mean, it's such a complex relationship because I feel that nobody has summed up what we still today love in Lawrence better than Frida when she says something like, to me, it was just so wonderful. His, his, his immediate communication with ev- his immediate yeah. bond with everything, flowers, trees, all this kind of stuff, with no kind of mediation via theory, just that kind of, uh, uh, just that kind of instantaneous kind of rapport he had. And what I really love about that is that it's so close to what um, one of Lawrence's sisters said about Lawrence's dad, who, of course, Lawrence famously said he was born hating. And one of the sisters says about the dad, oh, yeah, he knew the names of flowers and birds and that. Yes. Uh, And that is what is so valuable in Lawrence. And I find that really it's, I mean, what I liked about this, um, one of the reasons I felt the only way to arrange this uh, book was chronologically is because of the mad scatter of it. And really, whatever Lawrence is writing, whether it's a big book, the rainbow, uh, some little postcard that he's sending to somebody or a poem. You just never know when there's going to be the next outbreak of just in- such incredible genius. Yes. So, yes. I mean, you know, there's just uh, loads of examples. But, you know, I mean, I, oh, I think... A... Oh, um... No, I was looking at the moments of incredible genius. Just when he's writing about... Um... Yeah, in this, you included a couple of his reviews, oh, yeah. which are always... Mm. And Lawrence, as a reader, is 
just so exciting, isn't he? And this is him on, um, on Hemingway. And he says, Mr Hemingway's sketches are so excellent. They're like striking a match, lighting a brief sensational cigarette, and then it's over. <laughs> it's just remarkable that, it's that just... Lawrence re reviewed Hemingway, reviewed Thomas Mann as well. Um, and, but, and then, you know, I, some, I think back to, because uh, part, part of this, I mean, I'm really, now that I'm sort of in my 60s, I sort of find myself thinking all the time about those formative years when you, you know, when you discover Lawrence. And yeah, Lawrence's reputation was still very much intact, you know, when I was 17, 18. I can so remember just reading that poem, Song of a Man Who Has Come Through. And out of nowhere, there's this line in it when he just says, a fine wind is yeah. blowing the new direction of time. It's wonderful, yeah. I mean, what a... What a just ex and then it just goes on something else, a load of, load of nonsense. But these, these kind yeah. of wonderful lines yes. are just uh, cropping up any, all, all over the place. And one of Lawrence's great gifts, I think, was his... I mean, I always think of Kerouac in a way that he has this freedom from self-editing. I mean, he became a kind of um, apostle of, you know, he became famous for let's get, let's uh, you know let's get rid of our inhibitions. But I think one of his great strengths also was that he was so uninhibited as a writer and didn't really care if he was writing a lot of nonsense. Although, of course, he was a complete uh, a compulsive rewriter of mm. his own stuff. Uh, I forgot to say also that. One of the problems we have, if we're going to make the claim for Lawrence the novelist, then we have to really, uh, you know, then you're saying, what? You know, the plumed serpent, Aaron's rod, kangaroo. Mm. I mean, these are, uh, uh, as a, apart from Lady Chatterley's lover, after uh, Women in Love, Lawrence as a, uh, as a novelist is really pretty well over with. Uh, uh, well, think. there are accounts of what it was like to be Lawrence while he wrote the books. Yes, indeed. They're not, yeah, they're yeah. not about anything else. And in that sense, they're... They're very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. But I think all, all the essays here are accounts of what it's like to be Lawrence while <laughs> yes, he wrote the are. essays. Well, yeah, indeed. And that's the, the really interesting thing in the, the travel writing. I mean, he was, you know, he was, um, he wrote these wonderful travel books, uh, you know, the, the ones about Italy and then there's the Mexico ones, lot, and then the essays about New Mexico. And it's like this famous sort of thing is, is he just responding with unbelievable sensitivity to what's going on. And the most famous example, I guess, is when he goes to that letter from Germany uh, from, is it 1923 or something like that? And he's in the Black Forest and he says, oh, I can feel something. He's, you know, he's just, he, all he's doing is describing the weather. He says, something is brewing here, something that is coming from far further back than the Christian era and it's going to result yeah. in... And, fine you know, wind is blowing. You know, yeah, except yeah. this is uh, the opposite of a yeah. fine wind. This is uh, not the new, it's yeah. sort of blowing us backwards. And you think, oh, my God, did, is he intuiting yeah. uh, the rise of Nazism, even yeah. though there's nothing really about politics in it? Uh, and similarly, when he goes to Australia and he gives, the, he, you know, you think, oh, my God, he's only been here two weeks and he's got a sense of the dream time yes. of the song lines, you know. Other times, as um, you know, as this is what Rebecca West says in the essay. Oh, it's such good and it's value included here. Yeah. Oh, that's me okay. telling you that's time yeah. to stop. Oh, that's so. Yeah. Okay. Can you just say something about Rebecca West because it's very, very funny. Yeah, and it's this thing. story which uh, it seems to me she says, you know, it's um, uh, um, uh, she's in Lawrence. She, sorry, she's in Florence to meet Norman <laughs> Douglas, who rather snootily says, "Oh, Lawrence is here, and I bet if we go round to his." Crummy hotel room. He'll already be writing an article about Florence, 
and they go around there and they can sort of hear him writing his piece. I think he's <laughs> banging out a ty yeah. typewriter. And she, they go in and they say, what are you doing? And he replies, I can't do the accent because incredibly, uh, there's no audio at all of Lawrence. It's very surprising, yeah. actually, given how famous he was. And he says he's writing about Florence. And of course, Rebecca West thinks this is both hilarious and really stupid because he doesn't know the first thing about yeah. Florence. Uh, but, of course, he's always eager to earn money. And, of course, he's staying in a really crummy hotel because in Brenda Maddox's great, uh, great phrase, he was, uh, to say the least, very uh, careful about money. Um, anyway, and then Lawrence dies, and Rebecca West famously says in this essay, she says, God, I realise that actually all Lawrence ever wrote about was the state of his own soul. And at that moment, Florence was as good, uh, good a symbol as, as any other. I just want to say, just before we have questions, something about how um, Rebecca West is a superb critic of Lawrence. Mm. Everything she says about Lawrence is right, but women always are. And what's very interesting in what happened in the Lawrence trajectory is that the people who first wrote about Lawrence so well were all women. Oh, like Catherine Carswell. Catherine Carswell yeah. and um, um, Mabel. Dodge, Luhan, her, I think it's absolutely brilliant, her book, Lorenzo in oh, Towns. Oh, it's way, superb. It? And so every woman that Lawrence knew wrote about him astonishingly well. And the women were there. The women had no problem with Lawrence until Kate Millett. Oh, and yes, then yeah, when Kate yeah. Millett came along, the women had a huge problem with Lawrence. From which he's never recovered. From which he's never recovered. You know, it, it was his death sentence. And I... And we haven't. Ever, we should put him on the shitty men in literature list. <laughs> yes, and he's uh, and he's never come off. Um, and that's what I wanted Brenda Maddox to do something with. But that's what you're doing. Well, it's funny. It's what I thought I was doing when I first started writing about him. But in fact, I'm so uninterested in what Lawrence has to say about sex that I can hardly yes, be yeah. bothered to mm -hmm. yeah, go you're there. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, we absolutely. haven't mentioned it once, have we? No, we, we really haven't. <laughs> uh, all I would add is, uh, in terms of women on Lawrence, uh, the most amazing. There's this just wonderful little glimpse of uh, Lawrence in Italy. I think. It's, I've got, I'm not sure which way round it is. It's either Virginia Woolf on a train in Italy seeing Lawrence at a station or the other way around. She's on the pl platform yeah. and Lawrence's train pulls in. Anyway, and she sees Lawrence and she sees him looking pinched and penetrated. What a description of Lawrence, of course, who's being eaten away by, you know, uh, by, by, the, by, by the disease that he... By, by the disease that he refuses to name, but also sort of by life, actually. Yes. Yeah. Pinched and penetrated. Yes. Yes. So, if anyone is in the room who knew <laughs> Lawrence, <laughs> uh, please, yeah, we can have some sort of questions now or statements of position. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. 
Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Yeah, please. Oh, I think there's a microphone for you. I was just struck by the fact you both um, touched on Frida, but... Like, and you seem to have quite differing opinions on her. And I wondered if you could both say a bit more about hmm. your attitudes to Frida. Yeah, what's your line on Frida? Well, I think on the one hand, you know, it was such a liberation. She was such a liberation. So there's, you know, uh, Lawrence as this sort of, you know, horny young man at the, uh, at the sort of turn of the century, always trying to get these, let's, you know, these sort of uh, women to have sex with him, who for, very, for various reasons... Uh, have reservations about it, and then of course he bumps into the. He meets this, uh, you know, German woman who, according to um, Brenda Maddox's famously unreliable account, within about twenty minutes of meeting him, says, "Do you want to come upstairs? Because Ernest, my husband, is out at the library at the moment." She completely misses the point of that. Had she not decided to invent that scene. She might have said something really interesting about what happened in the 20 minutes that Lawrence met Frida, because during that conversation, they decided, you know, the deal was done. It had nothing to do with sex. And if she hadn't put that in, we might have been able to think seriously about what, what, they, you know, what really connected them. Uh, which was? Well, I think they both describe what happened... I think so. Lawrence stands up to see his tutor. It's very important to Lawrence that Frida is married to his tutor. Uh-huh. Of course, you know, of course that's significant. He turns up to see his tutor to get a letter of recommendation to a university in Germany. He's just had his second very serious illness and he's kind of, you know, he's despairing. He can't find anyone to have sex with him, as um, Jeff said. And he comes into this house and Christ, there's this extraordinary woman. There, I mean, she's astonishingly beautiful and kind of huge bosomed and blonde and full of kind of... And she's already um, involved with a couple of men in Germany. She's just had a big affair with Otto Rank. And another of her lovers, who's a German anarchist, is currently in prison. So she's been needing this kind of double life for a long time. And she doesn't really want to stay being a bourgeois housewife. And the minute she sees Lawrence, she evidently starts telling him everything about her life and he starts telling her everything about his Mm. life and they talk frantically like we're talking now they kind of pour it all out because they're waiting for you know Ernest weekly to come down the stairs and then they've got to have lunch and Frida said well we talked about Oedipus and as far as Lawrence was Mm. concerned Oedipus was the play running in the Nottingham Playhouse as far as Frida was concerned Oedipus was a complex which she'd heard all about in Germany and so she brought that to the deal and Lawrence said oh god he was in the middle of writing Sons and Lovers and he just, you know, he left that day saying, you know, I've just met the most wonderful woman in all of England. Yeah. And, um, and he meant it was an extraordinary meeting. And the fact that Brenda Maddox says, you know, they arrived and they went upstairs and had a shag and then came downstairs and had dinner. 
it just seems, I don't know, I just think that's, I think that's um, such a misreading of who mm-hmm. Lawrence was. He was such a prude. He would never mm-hmm. have behaved like that with his tutor's wife in the house. You know, and also, I mean, he was, he made himself out to be sexually liberated. He was the most uptight man in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On the other, but as a sort of parable, I mean, so, but you've sort of conceded that compared with the the women that uh, Lawrence had met before, she was this enormous kind of sexual force. Yes. Um, Yes, she was. So So there was a promise of sex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is always better than... (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, then it becomes very interesting because late, you know, she's older than him and then several uh, people who encountered them in Mexico Mexico commented, oh, God, you know, there's this, uh, you know, this big... German woman seems more like his mum than his than his wife, you know. Uh, given how abnormally close to his mother he was, it all gets very, very interesting. And I think like it mattered that. to Lawrence a lot that Frida was a mother. Yeah. That Frida, it was really important to Lawrence that Frida left her children for him. And mm-hmm. his behaviour about her leaving her children was unspeakable. That he refused to accept that she'd <coughs> lost anything here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so when she cry about her, when she ran away with Lawrence, she didn't know she would never see her children again. And Lawrence was going, oh, God, they're better off without you. I mean, every child needs to be without its mother. Mothers can only destroy your life. He said all these things to him. She said, well, you know, I do actually miss them and I'd like to see them. And that was one of the reasons why Lawrence would then beat her up. Oh, and get beaten up. Back. And get beaten up. Yeah, God, yeah. she could swing it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's those. Are, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, that's our thoughts on on Frida. I guess the, <laughs> the other thing to say is, you know, she was nothing if not up for it. In that, you know, after um, after they're stuck in Cornwall during the First World War, at the moment they're allowed to travel, they embark on this just incredible life of travelling the world, always on the cheap, always third class, of just a life of, um, yes, it was, uh, you know, it was a a very, very demanding life for her and very different to Lawrence, who, of course, for a big chunk of each day is just there writing, you know, whereas... What what, what, what did Frida do all day? Yeah, well, she... Because he did the cooking and the cleaning and grew the vegetables and washed the floors and he made her breakfast in bed and we know she smoked a lot. Which he hated. So she... And she smoked in his face because he had TB. (laughs) And so she... I mean, she seemed to do... And then he wrote a couple of novels. I mean, it took him six weeks to write a novel. So he was incredibly busy and getting thinner and thinner and thinner and she was very, very lazy... And getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And, this, and he had an agenda in moving around the world. And she had no agenda. So there was this kind of aimless egotism to her, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, don't think, I think Frida is fascinating. And, um, and yeah, I don't think you really get what's going on in Lawrence's head until you've got Frida. I because yeah, she yeah. just, a trip switch went when he met her. And the writing changed, but also he changed. And she's always marginalised in the Lawrence studies. It's, and Frida was there. Frida was literally never there. I mean, wherever he was, she was. I mean, they were never. She they were Laurel and Hardy. Well, Sorry, it's never not there. They were Laurel and Hardy together. They were. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, are we okay for another question or two? Hi. This may be a sort of niche interest, but um, I'm a primary school teacher. Um, have been for a long time and I'm conscious that Lawrence is the only major novelist or writer that I know of who was a primary school teacher and um, 
I love the rainbow and find um, women in love really difficult. But one of the reasons I love the rainbow is there's a chapter in the rainbow has a better description of the experience of beginning teaching than than any novel I know. Um, And my my thought that goes from that about Lawrence is that um, one of the um, pleasures of being a primary school teacher is you can get interested in anything Mm -hmm. and everything. One of the dangers of being a primary school teacher is you can ramble on and on and on because the children probably won't stop you. Is this a <laughs> to us? So I'm just, that's, that's my reflection. I'm just thinking of Lawrence as a primary school teacher, yeah. an ex-primary school teacher. Uh-huh. Who rambled on. Who yeah. rambled on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's so interesting. It hadn't occurred to me, but you're right. He got his training as a teacher and that, he must have taken that training into his writing. But he saw himself completely as a teacher, didn't he? Well, yes, as a, well, a, as a teacher who could heal the kind of, uh, you know, teacher and saviour. I mean, all those uh, elements that you've quite rightly said we, we find rather unpalatable now. But I guess one thing we should add is that, I mean, uh, my uh, father-in-law is, is rereading uh, volume five of Henry James's letters. And I remember thinking, God on earth, is he, why is he doing that? And then I realise, oh, I've just reread volume seven of Lawrence's letters. <laughs> and one of the lovely things in Lawrence's letters is towards the end, there is this, um, I mean, he still gets, he's still kind of going completely berserk about things, but there is a kind of lovely gentleness in some of those letters, or rather a, a sort of accommodation that he makes with things. And there's far less sort of ranting and raving. I mean, there's yes. a lot of sort of business letters. But the, the kind of lyricism that is there yeah. and the, the, just the, the sort of gentleness when he, you know, and by then he's completely abandoned his idiotic uh, belief in a sort of, uh, you know, in the sort of fascist cult of the leader. You know, he's not, no longer saying things like, um, you know, I believe in, I don't believe in democracy, I believe in the inherited right of kings. And he's not saying things like, the Cornish people are so worthless, they should just be used as slaves. I mean, he comes around to a much nicer kind of uh, social democratic view of the world, let's say. Where, wherein does his greatness lie for you? I said, um, why, why now? Why Lawrence now? What does he have to say to us now? Oh, I think it would be this thing of the, the, uh, the, the crucial thing, the elevation of forms of work which have traditionally been regarded as, uh, as lower down, and also just the, the immediacy of some of his writing without any rhetoric, without that tannoy that, that we use. Uh, so for, for me, that's where it is. And also, as you mentioned, as a critic, you mentioned those reviews. But for me, I mean, you know, if I was ha- asked to choose, you know, Lawrence, you know what, what is the one Lawrence book to take away, I'd be sorely tempted to choose studies in classic American literature. I agree. Um, because it's great on, uh, you know, Melville, Whitman, all this kind of stuff, and it's also completely nuts. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. I think one of the things that makes him so relevant today is that he invented autofiction. Oh, yes. Yeah, indeed. It's and there was... Um, no, one had, um, no one had described as Lawrence had described. I mean, no, Lawrence turned autobiography into novel. It's, they're indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Canal Scarred and Rachel Cusk would not exist without Lawrence. Without Lawrence. And I, uh, uh, Cusk is a very big... Uh, She's a big Lawrence, Lawrence fan. fan. Yeah. yeah, she... No. Anyway, now, yeah. Um, I, I, I grew up in Nottingham, and 
I I knew that Lawrence had become unfashionable, but um, I would like to put in a few words for his for the great what I consider the great novels because I read them first when I was a schoolgirl in Nottingham, and you know knowing what miners' lives were like and understanding just a little perhaps a little bit more than we would today of the um you know the, the ghastly degradation and poverty that he must have grown up in and, and knowing his house and the little sculpted coal coal things that he made which glisten you know those were the only shiny things in the house and uh, i thought i thought and still think that those novels are definitely worthy of reading and definitely worthy of understanding of how you escape from a life like that. Because, you know, would the world have taken a slightly different turn, he might have become a miner and just followed in his father's Mm -hmm. footsteps. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he had a little chance with education, a little chance with the people he knew and did amazing things with it. So I'd just like to sort of put that put that point that yeah. to feel that those novels are not worth reading mm. yes that's really would be a shame because i think yeah. i personally enjoyed them and enjoy rereading them now that's Good. a very useful corrective the only thing i would say is that i feel that that um uh dimension of experience for me is uh, presented more powerfully in Sons and Lovers yes. for me than it is in uh, the, the, the Rainbow and Women in Love. Well, I, I would put those three. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm glad we've ended, actually, with that, yes. with that, uh, uh, with that corrective because it would be kind of... It would be unfortunate if the takeaway from this was to say, don't bother reading Lawrence's novels. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that would be demented. Yeah. The takeaway should be that there's so much more. Yeah. there's always another Lawrence essay, always another Lawrence poem. We haven't even begun with Lawrence. No, and the short stories. The short stories are most. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Jeff. Round of applause, please. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.